0: www.brfcs.com By
1: the fans, for the fans, since late 1996.
2: Welcome to BRFCS podcast number 57. I'm Wen Waihu, the BRFCS editor. We didn't have a podcast last week after the FA Cup victory over Derby, there's a bit of a clash with work commitments for both Cami and myself, unfortunately. But in today's podcast, we are delighted and honoured to welcome Sir Bill Taylor to the BRFCS virtual studio. And with him to discuss all things Blackburn Rovers are assistant editor Eddie and B from BRFCS Admin. Sir Bill is an adopted son of Blackburn. He's originally from Leeds and was brought up in Birmingham and came to Blackburn some 40 years ago. And as well as his services to the town and community of Blackburn, for which he was knighted in 2003, he's also an avid fan of the Rovers. And since the emergence of various problems related to the purchase of the club by the Venkis some two years ago, he's been heading up a united initiative of Blackburn Rovers fans and fans groups in an attempt to focus the efforts of those groups and maintain a semblance of community. Now, uh, first of all, I'd just like to welcome everyone in. Uh, Sir Bill, uh, it's uh, a great pleasure and uh, an honour to have you on the BRFCS podcast. Thank you very much for coming on.
3: And hello to all of you there.
2: Yeah. Uh, how are you today? Very good. Looking forward to the interview. Excellent. Yeah. Um, you've, uh, you've had an operation recently, I believe. Are you recovering okay?
3: Yeah, I've had a, a hip replaced um, about a couple of months ago and uh, all went well with the operation. It's just a bit slow with the recuperation and the rehab, but uh, no, it's fine.
2: Good. That's good to hear. Great. Well, we look forward to hearing from you in a a moment. Uh, Just uh, welcome uh, Eddie in first. Eddie, are you OK?
1: Yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, Yeah. pleasure to be back on again
2: after the break. Yes, yeah, good. Uh, You're over in Paris at the moment, I believe.
1: Yeah, I'm back for the weekend uh, for for rugby and to see see some family.
2: Have you uh, been to any matches in the last couple of weeks?
1: Uh, I haven't. The last match I went to was Wolves away. Obviously, being in Leamington Spa, that was quite easy for me to get to, but I, was, I haven't been to any of the games since then.
2: And, Steve, uh, Stevie, uh, how are you today?
1: I'm fine, thanks.
2: Good. Good to have you on again. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, we're going to start off uh, by uh, asking uh, Sir Bill to go through his background, uh, how he came to be associated with Blackburn. Uh, Just a a quick look at his career before we look at uh, uh, Rovers' stuff, uh, his support of the Rovers. And uh, then we'll go on to the uh, Blackburn Rovers United Fans initiative uh, that uh, Sir Bill uh, came up with and organised. So, um, first of all, Sir Bill, you came to Blackburn, as I understand it, around about 40 years ago, um, around about 73, 74, is that right?
3: That's right, yes, when... um... I, as I was telling you before, I was uh, born in Leeds in uh, 1952 and we moved to Birmingham 1955 for my dad's work and stayed there really till I went to university in 1970. Uh, we used to live on the number 53 bus route in Birmingham which went directly to St Andrews or the number 11 bus took you to Villa Park. So I, I've always been a football fan but never really... Um, an affiliate to any club until I came up here to Blackburn in '73.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, If you could go to Birmingham City and to Aston Villa, uh, then uh, uh, that's saying something, isn't it?
3: It didn't seem to be a, a big. There wasn't such a partisan atmosphere, I don't think. You know, and I, I know we're very closely uh, friendly with uh, our, our friends down the uh, M65 there, but uh, there's no real partisanship I could dis- discern. Uh, during the 60s when I was being brought up with uh, Chico Hamilton. And a young lad called uh, Trevor Francis just started whilst I went to university. I think he he was serving the tea one week and the next week he scored four goals for Birmingham City. I think he'd come from Torquay, hadn't
2: he? Uh, I just remember him being the first £1 million player. He was only about 16 or 17 or something.
3: Cracking player, yeah.
2: Yeah, amazing. Great. And uh, you, you came to uh, Blackburn uh, after you graduated, uh, around about 73, you say. Uh, what, uh, what was the opportunity for you to come to Blackburn?
3: Well, I, I went to Lancaster University in 1970 and got my degree 73, of course. And then it was a question of looking around for a job. Uh, jobs were a lot easier to come by for graduates. Well, there weren't as many graduates in those days, I think only 8% of us went to university in those days and uh, I wanted to become a youth worker um, and without getting my violin out um, my particular adolescence hadn't been that easy and I thought if I could become a youth worker and, and work with other young people perhaps their lives could be a little bit more uh, uh, simpler than mine, had been. it's complicated so I, I came to Blackburn November the 1st 1973 and started work with, with young people and that has, that was my career over the next 33, 35 years or so.
2: Um, That was uh, with, uh, well it wouldn't have been Blackburn with Darwin at that time, would it? Was it it with the council? It
3: it was just about, there was four months when I worked for the old Blackburn Borough yeah. and then there was the the local government reorganisation in 74 when when the county council took over education functions and then uh, during that time, uh, the last 11 years of my career was spent in the Ribble Valley. So uh, always around here, um, always living. I had a little spell in Great Harwood uh, as a bachelor. But then in about 77, uh, I met my uh, girlfriend who became my wife, who's um, 35 years my wife uh, next week. And um, she lived in Mill Hill, which is only a stone's throw from Ewood Park and quite early in our relationship we'd just walk down Lizzie Branch Road there um, and watch the Rovers because she's not uh, endowed well with heights. we used to sit in the old riverside wooden stand and that's where our four season tickets are today above the Owen Rovers but just about we think where we used to sit when uh, there was an old wooden stand on the riverside and the people used to walk up across and back didn't they in front of there there was an enclosure and they'd, whichever end of the riverside Rovers were attacking, the crowd would kind of shuffle that way or shuffle that way. So me watching Blackburn Rovers probably goes back 35 years or so now.
2: Yeah. I used to stand under there, um, either side of the halfway line. There were some steps no, going uh, down, weren't there? No,
3: no, we used, we used to sit in the stand.
2: Yeah, so, so I was under the, under you, as it were. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It was a, it, the
3: riverside was good, really, because the people who wanted to shuffle up and down could do. and yeah. uh, So they got the best of uh, both halves.
2: Yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, right in the middle there, there was a kind of a singing section, as it were. And uh, we used to move across, depending on which way we were kicking, at half-time. And, uh, yeah, the, the noise from the, uh, the stand above us was uh, tremendous when everyone started stamping their feet. Do you remember that? That's
3: them? right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember one time, uh, I, I, I sort of floated around sometimes. If my wife would come, we'd sit down. If she didn't come, we'd stand up. Uh, and uh, I remember one little lad saying to his dad on the riverside, uh, Dad, is this match live today? <laughs> and uh, I think uh, cause then quite soon after that, uh, my son was born in 81. Uh, uh, he and I then started coming to the Rovers when he was about, we oh, didn't know exactly because the game was against, Mm. it was either Aston Villa or Brighton and Hove Albion uh, but we used to stand, uh, me and Matthew used to stand on the um, Blackburn end for quite a few years uh, and we used to think it was a great standing uh, before the imposed sitting, quite rightly so, mm. but um, standing was different wasn't it?
2: Absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not very keen on sitting down at, uh, at a football match to be honest but uh, yeah Back in the seventies, uh, it was fantastic atmosphere. Uh, only about eight thousand on on the ground, perhaps, but even so, it was, uh, it was still a good fun to be to be there. Uh, do you have? Well, the uh... Blackburn
3: End had a had a particularly horrible uh, stand up toilet for the gents, which everybody could see into on the on the nuttle Street side there. But I think it was actually for, for the ladies who stood on the Blackburn End there was one toilet. Um, which uh, I don't think it would work in the more family-oriented uh, industry now, but um, because the queue for the, for the ladies used to take forever.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you have any uh, memories of uh, matches in the 70s?
3: Well, um, just before um, I met my wife and we kind of settled down together, um, I'm pretty sure that we we won the third division championship in 1975. Yes, I was a single guy. I was a single guy there uh, then, living with uh, another couple of guys in Great Harwood, and we ended up in the Cavendish nightclub on the evening of um, um, the, the the winning the championship third division championship. Jerry Marsden was the turn, and he sang uh, "You'll Never Walk Alone" all night long. It seemed like going to say this, how many times he played it and everybody sang it. I remember Tony Parks being there, I'm not sure who else was in the team um, but that's one of my memories from the 70s. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah 1975 went up uh, to the uh, second division absolutely fantastic time yeah. had some great great times there. Going, going Lee's team it was great uh, Furphy, if you remember Ken, Ken Furphy's team before that
3: yeah, I, I I picked up on the management side. I, I I spoke to Gordon Lee a couple of times, but the first kind of triumvirate I remember was um, oh, the the vegetable guy, Bill Fox. Hi. uh John Howarth was the secretary, and Bobby Saxton was the manager. I I, I I used to meet those on a fairly regular basis around trying to make sure. It's been a bit of a a thirty year journey this for me trying to make the club see that it's importance to its local community.
2: Yeah, In, in your youth work, uh, how, did, how did that tie in, you know, the Rovers uh, and you, you work with uh, the community? Well,
3: oh, brilliantly, really, because um, I, I worked mainly on the uh, east side of town, uh, the areas of Audley and Shadsworth, um, pretty uh, white working class areas there at the time. And, of course, not far, really, Shadsworth, just to walk down Manxman Road uh, to get to the ground. So, I mean, I think most youngsters were quite keen on uh, uh, Blackburn Rovers. Although we had an influx of Northern Irish kids uh, who came into that orderly area, Ordnance Street, Artillery Street. They aren't there anymore. Um, who, uh, because I guess because they were Northern Irish Catholics, were uh, I can hardly bring myself to, to say these words that they, they were Manchester United fans. In fact, there's a picture of me. I took a group of kids to Old Trafford, oh, about 1975, and there's a picture of me uh, standing on Old Trafford, and there's not a seat to be seen, uh, the completely undeveloped Old Trafford uh, ground, uh, nothing like the Theatre of Dreams, and there's about 75,000 seats in now.
2: Yeah, yeah, just over 75, yeah.
3: Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I mean, young people always like sport, don't they, and... Uh, we 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 just it is, it's it's a very much a part of people's lives isn't it sport and especially in blackburn i think and and to be fair really in burnley too um that football is a real uh, I, i've called it um a kind of a a break from the travails of uh, northern life uh, football if it's going well it's fantastic if it's going badly it gives you something else to moan about but it's a release from family life from working life from all those day to day pressures and uh, difficulties we come across There's always something that you can unite around uh, having to go at the referee or the centre forward or the goalkeeper or whatever. But um, it, I just think it's a really important thing. I was explaining to somebody who came to see me yesterday uh, uh, football in itself, I don't really know enough about it. I don't fully understand it. All my friends who know more about football than me I can analyse the game in a far more uh, 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 rigorous way than I can do it. I just like being there, enjoying the company of the people I'm with, enjoying the spectacle, and hopefully enjoying the results. And, of course, there's been those two or three fantastic highlights in the Rovers over the last few years, uh, winning the championship and winning the League Cup there, which uh, just great times.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that you say over the last few years, uh, 1995 is uh, nearly 18 years ago, isn't it now?
3: It was a fantastic season, there, wasn't it? It, it, What was great about it for me, I was deeply involved in the local council by 95, but it was great uh, for a whole of that year. um, Manchester was 30 miles south of Blackburn rather than Blackburn being 30 miles north of Manchester. And uh, for that particular day, the the day at uh, Liverpool when we became the champions, uh, my son and I, uh, we got up about half past five, half past four, I don't know, We joined the queues down at uh, Ewood Park and we managed to get four tickets for the Liverpool game. Amongst the last few that went on sale, the shutters were starting to go down. And then we found ourselves across a few days later at Stanley Park there in the middle of Liverpool and we'd parked up and walked through Stanley Park. And then when uh, the results went the right way and we were champions, and then the drive back into Blackburn, we came back because... we hadn't eaten during the day because we were just too tense. Goodness only knows how the footballers must have felt. But there was a proper, almost like ticker take like welcome right up Preston New Road with people waving and cheering. Uh, it's bringing a tingle back, the nostalgia's bring a tingle back to me now. But those great times, um, they're fantastic, aren't they? And uh, I might talk a bit later, but I was actually on the uh, the team, the club aeroplane that went down to Cardiff for the uh, for the League Cup final there. But um, along with the good times any football club has, I've been to Port Vale, uh, which I think is in Burslem, and I've been to Grimsby, which I think is in Cleethorpes. So you take the rough with the smooth, don't you? And it's been a family uh, journey. Uh, I haven't been going just recently because of my hip that you mentioned. But yesterday, uh, my wife, son and daughter all assembled here uh, we always leave at 10 to 2, we always go the same way to the club, we always park in roughly the same place, we have the same rituals, uh, it includes uh, a small flask of uh, hot chocolate, but um, it's, it's part of our family's life, and numbers of families right across East Lancashire.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, just wondering, uh, uh, Steve, uh, do you have a, a ritual for the match?
0: Um. Not really much of a ritual. It's normally the standard: go uh, grab a couple of pints and also jump in a taxi and head up to one of the local hostelries around uh, around the old area. Seems to be the it Seems to be the public choice at the moment. Yeah, yeah.
2: Do you, do you go in the, the blues bar at all so before the match, or is it
0: after? Uh, I tend to go into the blues bar at half-time and spend, spend far too much time in there afterwards. So yeah, <laughs> I was I was in there till. Um, but best part of nine o'clock last night after the match. I don't know why, but uh, I kind of enjoyed it. We've won a game. You know, met the most of it. Uh, uh, yeah.
2: And um, just to go back to Sir Bill, your, your, your support of the Rovers, um, you've, uh, you've, en- you've enjoyed, uh, what, 30-odd 30, 30 years, 40-odd uh, years now of, uh, of supporting the Rovers. Uh, this past year, uh, you've uh, seen... The, the difficulties that we've had uh, off the field as well as on the field. Uh, how, how, has that, um, uh, how has that affected you in your day-to-day life?
3: Um, well, to be frank, it's been completely annoying and frustrating. And I would imagine I share that annoyance and those frustrations with probably tens of thousands of people, people. Uh, Predominantly in, in Blackburn and Darwin, but uh, the hinterland, the Rovers fan hinterland, goes beyond that of not really understanding why things are happening like they, they do. Now, as I try to explain to you, I don't really know an awful lot about football. I know even less about how to run a football club, but um, I think it's almost two years ago, um, I think it was in the May or the June of 2011, I first wrote to the Venkis just a short letter, uh, a single sider saying, I don't think you understand uh, the idiom of uh, why people in Blackburn and beyond are, are Rovers fans and if you'd like to spend some time talking to me about it or I could assemble a group of people you might talk to because uh, fair deuce to the Venkis I mean they're a very, very successful uh, international organization, pretty philanthropic, good employers, uh, pretty well known right across the indian subcontinent, but it 's six or seven thousand miles to Pune uh, they don 't know so much about east lancashire i 'm not sure so sure they know so much about uh, football, and I was hoping to try and influence them uh, if you like almost like a free uh, customer, uh, what do you call it, client relations, customer relations uh, exercise that quite a lot of companies, for example, Tesco, uh, spend an awful lot of money getting uh, customer feedback. I was kind of offering it for free two years ago and still am. I mean, I just, I I still don't understand why they aren't wanting to engage with people more.
2: They they never actually gave you an answer?
3: No, I've written four times now. I think it must have been my world record for um, being patient with people. Uh, the first letter uh, was about two years ago, perhaps uh a year nine months ago, uh followed up by another couple of letters i don 't know if i've furnished you the, with the copies of the letters, but I, I will do later if you like yeah, yeah. Um, and but no replies um, I think the first one went via Ewood Park, and then I think the second two actually went to India and cost me either one pound twenty or two pound forty or something um, but I just think it's a crying shame and I'm not interested and I've tried to make that clear to the Rouse I'm not interested whatsoever I have no expertise or aspiration to uh, manage the team or manage the club that's for other people to do but I think they've missed a massive, massive trick they don't understand the affiliation that uh, especially working class people have with their local football team like I mentioned before about the relief, the release, um, the coming together, the sort of joint um, uh, outpourings of grief when we lose and huge celebrations when we win. I don't think they've got it. And that's what my my letters were about. Uh, I don't think it is much emotion uh, involved in uh, uh, rearing chickens and eggs and selling them to people. But it isn't the same for a football club. Yeah.
2: And uh, in, in the wake of those letters, uh, you decided that uh, some kind of uh, means of, of bringing fans together was necessary. Uh, now, the community is very much at the heart of a, a, a local club like Blackburn Rovers, and uh, you could see that uh, basically the community was being ripped apart.
3: Well, over the last 30 or 40 years, there's probably not a school in the borough that I haven't been into. There's probably not a youth centre or where young people would congregate that I've not been into. I'm still the chairman of Blackburn College. There's probably not a factory or an office that I haven't been to and lamentably there's probably not so many pubs that I haven't frequented. Um, And so I think I've got a pretty good hold on um, how the community is thinking, what the community is thinking and how it likes to be treated. And I'd use three words, and I have used three words. Uh, the first one is that the fan base wants to feel respected. The second one is it wants to feel although it's trusted. And the third one is it wants to feel like it's being communicated with. And I don't think that's happening. And I can't remember how long ago, but I was uh, approached by uh, uh, the Blackman Rovers Action Group uh, to become a patron of them. And that's not good enough for me. I don't like just being uh, a name on a letterhead or, or whatever. So I, I, I listened to uh, Glenn there from, um, from, the, from the Action Group. And also then uh, Wayne Wilde from WEC, WEC um, he became uh, uh, active in looking at the trust approach now, those two approaches probably look poles apart from each other, and there they are. But all the people involved in those two different groups, if they are polarised, have one thing in common. That's a, a love of Blackburn Rovers and a passion for football. So I found myself involved in both of those. And then, perhaps because I haven't been going out so much because of my my, uh, my, my surgical situation, uh, I've been able to watch things a little bit more objectively, perhaps. And the thought came into my mind about this time last year that perhaps if we could get all those groups, and there's about 12 or 15, I mean, it's, it's not just the action groups, it's the, the fanzines, the websites, the forums, the trusts. There's all so- sorts of different ways that uh, Rovers fans and football fans generally kind of congregate or, or, or relate to each other. I thought if we can get them all around a table... Um, and get them talking to each other, perhaps that would be more powerful. Because on on the one hand, um, owners are rich and powerful, uh, and fans of football clubs are no less powerful, but they're differently powerful. Uh, And they haven't got a lot of money, uh, but they've got a lot of passion. And one of the things I said in the letters to, um, I think it was to Shebby Singh was, if you could harness that power, you could harness the money, and you could act harness the passion, how much better would that relationship and that engagement be for everybody who wants to be fans, supporters or whatever of the activities of Ewood Park?
2: And uh, how how did it come about that you brought people together?
3: Well, to be honest again, uh, it's proved quite difficult uh, and I think we've met about half a dozen times um, some of the meetings have been pretty fractious uh, Steve's been to a few uh, uh, Graham Jones the MP for Accrington came to one uh, Jake Berry has uh, been to one Jack Straw's always kept up to date with things and he's had several meetings with different groups but um, we've met mainly on Friday nights because that seems best for people and we've met up at the Blackman Golf Club which is near my house and uh, uh, As I was to say, and and no doubt Steve will will bear witness to it, it's been quite fraught at times. But I don't mind that. I mean, I've been uh, in—I was leader of the council uh, and involved in the council during the poll tax years, uh, so I'm pretty used to fractious public meetings. Uh, These weren't, anywhere near as bad as some of the poll tax meetings. Uh, But it's about people's passion, and people mistake people getting angry for them not being passionate, and getting through the anger, I think has been an important part of the process.
2: And uh, what uh, during these meetings, or through these meetings, uh, what do you think you've, uh, you've achieved?
3: Well, to start with, people have let a lot of steam off and uh, they have been quite difficult because some of the people, I think, think because their approaches are different, they don't share the same value base. And so um, I think we've got some bits of steam let off uh, and moving forward, now we haven't met during uh, two thousand and thirteen yet, and we need to re-engage these meetings. And quite surprisingly, I was quite surprised a number of people contacting me uh, when I put out press releases about what we've been what we've been up to, who didn't know there were other groups knocking around. Uh, a guy, a guy from Canada who was a, a season ticket holder. He might even have been a, a shareholder. But um, I think we need to keep to find find ways. Um, the guys who put their heads, heads over those parapets, talking about the action group or the trust approach, other people have lost the temper with them or lost the patience with them, but they're actually trying to do something. And when I was a leader of the council, the worst people I could deal with was people who were anti what the council was doing but didn't have any alternatives themselves. And I think what we've got to try and do with the 12 or 15 groups that want to support Rovers, that want to uh, have the fanzines and the websites. Is find ways where they can talk to each other, probably without losing their tempers, because losing your temper is pretty corrosive.
2: And uh, the the aims of uh, the initiative, uh, you know, in, in terms of what you set out to do, um, how would you describe those?
3: A convening of like people, an opportunity to talk with each other, uh, a chance to let off some steam, a chance to try and... Understand each other 's point of view, uh, for example, on the one poll, if, if they are polls, the action group are pretty much uh, here and now kind of people. Uh, the trust approach is a longer term, more uh, deliberate kind of approach, but i don 't see any harm in that so it 's trying to bring those people together so they have a respect and and that energy which the collectively they have trying to bring it together now as to whether it's been 100% successful, I think the answer is no. But that doesn't mean just because something's difficult to do doesn't mean you have to stop. keep trying.
2: Um, presumably, um, the, the aims seem to be quite amorphous, really, yeah? And well, I don't, I, don't think, I, don't, presum- I
3: don't think there is an aim in the sense that the aim is to engage better with the the, uh, the owners Uh, what that engagement looks like isn't for me to say I think it's going to be shaped by the people who are involved in it Um, what I've been able to do is bring people together Uh, people have been prepared to come together Uh, people have been prepared to be shouted at and it being quite difficult although we have tried to move forward now it it isn't always easy Um, allegations have been voiced about each other but um, as I said before just because something's difficult doesn't mean you shouldn't try and do it
2: yeah yeah so what I was trying to say was, uh, it, it seems quite an amor- amorphous uh, uh, set of ideas uh, and approach, but out of, out of that kind of chaotic approach, uh, something will take shape uh, sort of uh, of its own uh, accord. Is, is that fair to say? Well,
3: I've tried I, the, the, the final letter, the fourth letter, uh, the last letter uh, I sent to Shebi Singh who assures me, he's discussed it with the Rouse family, was a six-page tome, and it was quite a deliberate thing, and it was a a plan for how um, the Rouse could re-engage with the Blackburn football community, including the action groups of this world, including the trusts of this world, but including all the other bits of organisation in the borough, of which I am familiar and I think with whom I've got a fair amount of uh, confidence uh, for them to do that. So, uh, out of that, listening to all the people that I uh, have listened to, I tried to put to the, the club and to the rows um, my uh, interpretation of what those people wanted. And I think we made some mistakes uh, when, I think some mistakes were made during last year when uh, the Keen out, Venki's out. Um, demonstrations were taking place. I understand why those people did that. I'm not entirely sure if it was productive, but I think when they were actually saying uh, "Keen out, Venki's out," they were actually saying, like I said before, "Please respect me. Please trust me, and please talk with me." And whilst we're on the topic, um, the circumstances of a few weeks ago the snowballing and members of the rare family, um, I don't think that's particularly helpful at all. But on then on the other hand, I don't think it's particularly helpful or considerate of the Rows to leave the ground after 65 minutes. And I think that's the nature of the misunderstanding between the two groups. Um, why would you come to 6,000 miles across the world to watch a football team which you bought and ploughed millions into to think it was acceptable to uh, chuck, have chucked snowballs chucked at you? And on the other hand, um, it's just rude to leave a football... I mean, if we all left football grounds when we weren't winning or whatever, nobody would be left on, 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 on the, on the uh, terraces there. So I think that's, that sort of exemplifies the, the dichotomy, the chasm uh, of understanding that needs to be bridged.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other thing is uh, uh, arriving to a stage-managed uh, you know, media circus with... Uh, Uh, each of the family members in a separate Rolls Royce that probably wouldn't go down well at any club especially at uh, a club like ours
3: Yeah, well on Twitter which is the main way I sort of engage in social media um, a couple of people put uh, I hope they had their plane crashes on the way home and another guy put it shouldn't have been a snowball it should have been an apple with razor blades in it well I don't think that's particularly good and I just wonder, um, if I was a rich man and I had a Rolls Royce, uh, I might like to turn up at Ewood Park in a Rolls Royce if I had one. But you've got to make judgments, haven't you, I think. And uh, perhaps it wasn't the right thing to do. I think mistake after mistake after mistakes being made. And until people are brought together, the, uh, the Venkis, the oh, I've seem to have this kind of emperor's new clothes approach to thing. They have ploughed a great deal of money into this club They aren't getting the response they expect. On the other hand, they haven't reached out and met with people in the ways that most of us are used to and most of us would expect. Uh,
2: Just uh, before we move on, uh, just ask uh, Steve if there's any comments uh, about uh, the United Fans initiative. Uh, Steve, you've been along to the meetings. uh, uh, I think Sir Bill suggests there's been about six of them. I think you've been to pretty much all of them, haven't you?
0: I've been to all by one of them, where I had uh, yeah. work issues sort of uh, conflicting at the same time. I think Bill's writing what it says, like, there's been a lot of groups that have attended. Uh, I would suggest that the Rovers Trust as the entity that it is now may not have happened in that way if it wasn't for the United supporters meeting, because you had. And there, there were quite heated sort of conversations between the guys running the trust and running the investment trust. Uh, but both really wanted the same thing, so by the time they had the heated conversations, they both sat down at the end and go, hang on, we're arguing about the same thing here, aren't we? And they went and sat down, they went and organised, it came up with memorandums of of understanding, uh, went for all that sort of stage, and then they realised, you know, they decided to actually work together properly, and that's where Rovers Trust as the entity is, uh, becoming a very, very strong supporters entity within within the the supporters community now, and... Yeah, that's down to the meetings that's definitely down to the meetings uh, I've been there representing both BRFCS and the Fans Forum, we've had people from 4000 Halls turning up we've had quite a lot of different people as, as we're saying, there's been arguments and there will be arguments and there'll be misunderstandings that some people haven't spent all day working on a market stall I think it was brought to our attention at one point point. and it was like well everybody's working in different ways and there's certainly been a respect that not everybody can do things in the same way but doesn't mean that people don't see at the end that people are actually working in their own way to do something Uh, I felt that what it has done is possibly by having the meetings it's also meant that some of the debates about the groups don't end up on Twitter Facebook or BFCS or wherever they up being discussed in that meeting. So, yeah, it's fractious sometimes, yeah, and sometimes it's uh, the passion's sort of overflow, but it does keep it behind closed doors to a certain extent as well.
3: It's been fairly scary at times. Um, my wife, I miss one because my hip was playing up, uh, but my wife's been to every one of them, I think, and she sits there mainly in the background, and she's been quite surprised at what's went on. But in a sense, I mean, she's been a schoolteacher for 36 years, she knows that people are passionate about things. She knows that people express themselves in different ways. And it's kind of trying to harness that uh, and accept that people will lose their tempers, will F them blind a bit. Um, because that's what football's about, isn't it? It's about passion. Yeah, I think
0: sometimes passion's mistaken for aggression. I think that's where somebody may see something as aggressive. and It's not. It's, it's people being passionate about what they believe. They see the club going, you know, you see, see the club disappearing into the abyss, sort of thing, and you're not going to sit there and just take it uh, and just let that happen. So that's why people are getting angry, and people are angry about what's been going on. I mean, as Bill said, I think one of the things that the United group has tried to sort of get is to try and get some communication with the owners. There's, as far as I'm aware, been the Pune 9, of which I'm one of them, and two or three always who went to Pune, and they're the only people who've had any discussion on behalf of the fans with, over, with, with the owners, and even then, that's 18 months down the line now. Things have moved on significantly since then. Back then, the owners, it was, it was, a, it was redeemable for the owners at that point. If they'd have actually started to talk to fans regularly and they'd have got rid of Steve Keane, I don't think the pressure would have been on the owners anywhere near as much as it is now. But the fact that they then spent another 14 months not listening to fans before actually getting rid of him. I think that's where the problem lies. It's
3: it's frustration. I think most of this is coming from. I'm am just, just sat here nodding my head at everything Steve said, really, and and thinking about it, and perhaps going into some more of the detail about people's frustrations. Um, if I'd have um, if I had picked up a, an organisation with which I wasn't familiar, which I have done on a number of occasions, and I think some of the things I've been successful at doing is changing organisations to fit better with the modern world. And perhaps the Venki should have listened to people who were around a bit more. I mean, just I mean, hindsight's a fantastic piece of kit, isn't it? But uh, did we need to get rid of Sam Allardyce? I think probably not. Was it a good idea to get rid of Williams and Finn at the time? Probably not. What did Paul Hunt do wrong? I'm not entirely sure. So all those kind of things, perhaps isolated incidents in themselves, but it looks like there's a plan. Now, probably, this is probably more cock up than conspiracy, but it looks like there was a plan. And the plan, people didn't expect it to work. And when it didn't work, but there's no, I mean, there, there can't be any um, uh, collective aspiration for this football club to fail. Who wants a football club to fail? None of the fans do. You'd like to think none of the footballers do. You'd like to think, I'm pretty damn sure, the, the, the RAZ didn't put all this money that they've put in with a with notion of it failing. So why can't we all, all get round a table and try and hammer this out uh, like grown-ups and the adults that we are? Do you not think,
0: though, Bill, given what's going on and the history now, I think, in terms of the owners, I think it's very difficult for them to redeem themselves in a lot of people's eyes. I think they really have to, are going to have to go above and beyond anything. It's going to have to be such a, a change in mindset and attitude from the owners that I think to redeem themselves with... The majority of supporters out there who aren't affiliated with groups who don't care about action groups, fans, forums, websites, or whatever—the people on the street—they just—I don't think they're interested anymore. I think it's gone past that point. So I think that they've had the chance and they've had the, the chance to engage with yourself, who's obviously going to explain the community of black. but I saw what we did for the the Sheby meeting where we put that to him, and I just think there really are sort of fighting a losing cause now, and especially turning up in the Rolls Royces, which, fair enough, they've got the money, they can do that, but it just seemed a little bit arrogant when they could have just turned up in some Range Rovers and just without the fleet of publicity, effectively.
3: I I kind of half agree with you, Steve. Uh, The half that doesn't agree with me is I'm not really a quitter. I did feel a bit like that towards the end of 2012 when nothing was moving forward but I'm feeling a little bit buoyant about it now and I think they have made mistakes. Um, I've travelled to South Africa uh, a couple of times and it's not the easiest place to live. Uh, It doesn't matter what colour you are. Uh, It certainly wasn't the easiest place to live when it did matter what colour that that you are. And I've been out there and I've seen the changes. and I've seen the lack of change as well. So that came from a fairly uh, difficult position during the uh, the sixties and the seventies and the eighties, moving into the nineties a little different. My first point in my big long letter to the uh, Venkis, Venkies, the Rouse, was um, you need to say sorry. Now, that doesn't cost a penny to say that you're sorry. You've got to have you've got to be a big enough person to say that you're sorry. I'd have to say sorry for mistakes I've made in, in my life. Uh, it's actually not a bad thing to do because it actually makes you feel a bit better after you've done it. But uh, sorry doesn't cost you a penny, but it takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage uh, to say it. And I think they've got to start from that position. And I think really the the sorry is they're they're sorry that they listened listened to the wrong people uh, a couple of years ago. Now, I think people uh, in Blackburn and surrounding areas are forgiving. And if they heard that kind of thing, and they saw uh, reasonable attempts to make a difference to the way that the club relates to the local communities. I'm talking about the business community. I'm talking about the different sorts of communities that are in Blackburn with Darwin. I'm talking about the cathedral, the schools, uh, the college, the town hall, all those different sorts of people. If they made a proper effort to graft themselves inside those existing organisations, and Steve made a great point about the PowerPoint presentation I put together, There's some massive organisations in this town that have been going for 125, 150 years. The council, the local telegraph, the college, the rovers, uh, some of the big companies. Thwaites have been going for 200 years. That's the kind of place where uh, Blackburn Rovers should be starting to relate to. And they haven't done it. And that was the point of what I said. Here's a conduit now. You can have this conversation but I don't think they're being told by the right people that the conversation must be must must be had.
1: But just to kind of weigh in, I think I think fundamentally what part of the problem is that their aspirations were to sort of develop a, a global brand, a global brand, and in attempting to do that, they they lost sight of the fact that it needed to be built around local support and and having you know the actual existing fan base on the side with everything that they were doing, and I'm not sure. Whether or not they'll ever really fully understand the fact that it's incredibly unlikely that they're going to turn Blackburn Rovers into some you know internationally recognized sports team, and that really they should just focus their attentions on developing their relationship or reestablishing a relationship with the existing groups and and, and trying to trying to make the club sort of a local you know a local Figure, figure in the community again
3: and yet uh, Ed um, when we were the premiership champions we could almost have done anything in terms of uh, the marketing opportunity and uh, I've listened to guys at uh, trust meetings one guy who runs a very big local Blackburn company who just found it easier to sell his particular produce, it has nothing to do with football whatsoever but uh, his company has Blackburn in front of it and when he was exporting uh, 25, 20 years ago, uh, sorry, 18 years ago, um, it, it, it was just so easy to sell the brand Blackburn because the Rovers were the best football team in Britain, which sometimes is seen as the best football team in the world. So I don't think it's too late for the Venkis. It, it goes increasingly more difficult the longer they don't do something about it.
1: No, absolutely. And they also need to turn things around on the pitch, which is the most important thing in a way. And if we get, I get, I, I mean, sort of, I think in terms of it being salvageable with existing supporters, I think if if, if results do pick up, I think a lot of them will be very forgiving. Um, I mean, I think it would be nice to think that, you know, if, if we do, if we are ever promoted, I think that will go a long way to repairing a lot of the damage. Seeing as they seem to be making slightly better decisions now.
3: I, I, I see relationships in very much in a kind of a, a debit and credit uh, relationship. And um, I I'd look back over recent managers that Rovers have had. Uh, you, you could see Mark Hughes around in the town going to different organisations. Sam Allardyce around the town going to different organisations. I saw both of those guys at charity and community events. Steve Keen, never saw him, Uh I think he lived in Weybridge, which is south of the M25. Um, they, they don't understand. Yes, sports, football especially, is a global kind of uh, uh, experience now, industry, multi-billions of pounds, but it still needs the local fan base to make it work.
1: Could you have safely attended even even charitable events? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think Steve King could easily have attended charitable events. Uh, people are professional and people will behave accordingly depending on the situation that he's in. Uh, you know, I mean, he was happy enough to walk into the Wally Arms and have a couple of pints before he drove home to, to Surrey. So he was happy to walk into local pubs. He's happy, he should be happy enough to go to a charity event, realistically.
3: I was with Sam Allardyce at a couple of events where there was a couple of hundred people. Uh, the same with uh, Sparky. He came to events, for example, in uh, the Windsor Suite there in the town centre, 200 people there. All of those 200 people would have gone away and spoke to another 200 people. So I think the maths is 4,000 on that. That's 4,000 people who would have known that he had some kind of um, commitment towards other things that happened. It's not just about driving up in a car uh, to Brockhole or to Ewood Park. It's about understanding that people's lives are complex things and relate to other parts of what goes on?
0: I think it's an importance that people forget about Blackburn is we are more of a community club than a lot of the other Premier League clubs. Manchester United aren't what you call a community club because, you know, joking aside about the fans being in London, is they're all about marketing globally. They're all about selling shirts in Singapore. So whilst there's plenty of fans from Manchester, they're, they're about selling globally. Blackburn Rovers' core audience is... And no offense, a lot of people who listen on the podcast is people around the Blackburn area, within five or six miles from Blackburn. So it's the the Blackburn and Widgery in the outlying areas of Chorley and Aki and Osdby basically, and Arwood. And there where well, the majority of the paying customers for Blackburn come from. And even the even the fans who are from abroad tend to have had family who have originated from that area in the first place. It's very much a community, a, a local club for local. Well, I would say for local people, but yeah.
2: Um, just to pick up uh, on a, a point there that uh, w- was being made by Eddie, uh, saying that if things pick up on the playing side, uh, that, that will solve uh, a number of problems. Um, now, I'd just like to ask uh, Sir Bill what, uh, what he makes of uh, Michael Appleton. First of all, uh, the appointment uh, of Michael Appleton. is our fifth, fifth manager already. Uh, this season. Uh, What uh, what do you make of his appointment?
3: Well I think the whole um, last two and a half years have been quite bizarre. I mean you could argue why did Allardyce go? Then why did we get Steve Keane who I don't know where his credentials were then we kept him for two years or more. Uh, Then he he decided to go it wasn't a control. It it seems to me nobody's taking leadership in this organisation Nobody's deciding what's going on. So then Keane decides to uh, throw his um, throw his uh, d- dummy out of the pram. So then there's a there's a hiatus there. Uh, Henningberg was taken on after a longish gap. Um, didn't do so well. He disappeared. And now we've got Michael Appleton, who I'm not entirely sure what his track record is. But uh, in some senses, it's not our it's not our problem. It's problem of the ownership to decide who they're going to get to manage the club. Uh, and I, I I don't wish Michael were any worse than anybody else. Because we, we all want the Rovers to do well. We want them to do well on the park. We want them to do well in terms of the community. We'd love it, wouldn't we, if they sold more shirts with the different footballers' names on the back of it. Um, because that's all part of a healthy... Because um, Blackburn Rovers is just as much a local company as Thwaites is or WEC or Grayman Brands. We want it to thrive... So, good luck to Michael Atherton, he hasn't done so bad so far, um, but we need it to grow and grow, but the, the whys and the wherefores aren't clear.
2: The whys and the wherefores of, of what? Of how he was but, appointed or...? or the managerial,
3: che- managerial changes, I think, really. Yeah, yeah. It's not obvious why these things have happened and why things aren't obvious people make up their own ideas and that's how the, the Chinese Whispers or the Bush uh, bush Telegraph works and it'd be much better and Paul Agnew is uh, an expert in, in PR and, and communications I think it would be much better if things were explained so at the margin people aren't, aren't able to make up their own ideas about why things have happened.
2: And. Uh the playing style. I, I don't know whether you've managed to get out to any of the matches uh, since Michael Appleton has been appointed, or, or maybe seen uh, some on the box. Um, have you? Have you seen anything at all, Sir Bill?
3: Oh well, that's another thing that's a, a, a disgrace, isn't it? Now we're not on Match of the Day anymore. <laughs> uh, I think it was. I think it was last week. We were yeah. minutes 86 and 88 of a 90-minute program. So most of my experience of what's happening is, uh, is through the Football League show.
2: Right, yeah. Okay.
0: Steve? Yeah, I think that's one of the advantages of this year's Rovers player, effectively. When we obviously got all the, the blanket courage we got from the Premier League, it didn't really matter. You, there'd always be a programme that you pick up and watch. It goes on Sunday, you'll be on there and you get get five, ten minutes of action. You'd always get a minute on match of the day when we're in the Premier League. But the Rovers player now gives you 40, 50 minutes of highlights of the game edited from the rovers point of view so you know and you can go and watch the highlights from the bristol city website which will probably have the bristol city highlights which fortunately for us was quite short yesterday but uh so there are there are ways of keeping up with the game uh i'm fortunate in that i can get to most games so i've i've only missed the derby match from michael appleton's appointment uh, without going all steve keen on it it looks positive at the moment. Uh, in terms of the way he's setting up the football, um, it looks more organised. Dan and it look a little bit more organised and he's continued the good work that Gary Boyer has done. I mean, dare I say it, going back to basics, so he's trying to put right wingers on the right wing and he's trying to put strikers up front. And go back to basics, start learning exactly who you've got in your team, where the best positions are, but put your players around the system and not the system around the players as the previous managers seem to have done, His pick... Eleven players and see how it works. Uh, It was quite obvious that the the play was too narrow under Keane, Berg, everybody else was no width whatsoever, and it led to effectively kind of kind of easy for the opposition teams to defend because it was a case of just stay on the front two, starve them of space, keep you know a mark, and. They are. You've, you've got the game won really, now you've got a bit more space and you've got width in the game, all of a sudden Murphy's got people to pass, to. he looks a little bit better and it's, it's, it's slow improvement. Jury's got to still be out on Appleton, he's made some kind of risks in the transfer market and let in quite a few of these players go in, but you take on a manager, he's always going to want to bring his own people in and he's going to upset you a little bit by sometimes selling the players that you particularly rated.
2: Yeah, You've been able to catch the matches, I believe, Eddie?
1: I've seen a couple of the games. Yeah, I I'm, uh, I'm unfortunately missed the game yesterday. But uh, the, the rest of it may have matches i have seen in full um, through one way or the other, either live or occasionally the next day, seeing the, seeing the whole game. I've, I've been impressed. I think that we definitely uh, were more organized. I mean, you know, it's small steps towards to a better thing, but um, there's definitely signs of improvement um, and it's clear, I think, that he has some sort of a plan, which I think that's the first time you can really say that. Uh, you know, not going back to Halliday's really that you have a, a really clear approach to the game and a way in which he wants to put the team out and the team to play. Hopefully that continues. Obviously it's very early days but it's, it's certainly encouraging.
3: I, I have to bow to you guys here because uh, I don't know enough about the tactics of football to understand them, but... um One of the best purchases we ever made, in my opinion, uh, going back a number of years, and none of you will guess who I'm going to say now, one of the best uh, uh, purchases we made uh, a couple of decades ago, at least I would think, was Gordon Cowens. And when whatever division we were in then, Gordon Cowens used to get the ball, decided what to do with it. So he he got the ball and he made the play. And I thought, I think that's what we need now. I don't know whether Murphy's the man to do this. Um, But Cowens ran the midfield... Uh, all those years ago, I think that's what we need. We need a, we need an organizer, a focus uh, for things that are going on. I think that's entirely exactly
0: the reason that we brought Murphy's to be that Gordon Cohen's type of role, a little bit of experience in the middle, who can let things tick over. Now, the way the team's been set up, the, the lack of support general, the lack of width, I think has meant that Murphy's been exposed. He certainly hasn't been very good at this stage, but uh, you know you just have to hope that the team set up in front of him it improves a little bit and he can start to, to put, you know, start to, I will not want to say class, but that's probably the wrong word because he hasn't shown any of that one. But he's supposed to have some class, so I guess he's supposed to be able to uh, put you know, put that into the game. So let, let's see how Appleton works out. He seems to at least have got a settled team. He's obviously used the team that Boyer have come up with and he's just tinkering with that from there and, you know, I say the jury's out he's got real realistically any promotion hope this season is unlikely but you know he's seven points from the playoffs a game in hand three or four wins in a row winning greens winning there's always a chance the difficulty you get is that there's a few teams in front of us so it only needs another one of those teams to go on a similar winning run as well so we could play fantastic football lose only maybe a couple of games for the rest of the season and then still not be in the playoffs zone so We've probably left ourselves a very, very tall order. But if you look at when Graham Sooners took over the club, there were six months to go. He got rid of a lot of the dross. He picked his best team. And then he brought Ail Berkovich in, which is in a similar role to how they brought in Sid Cowans, in that he was the player who unlocked the defences. You know, the last time I got promoted, we played three at the back. Um, Berkovic and Berkovich a free role.
3: This, this conversation that Steve's uh, leading us to, which is a. Fantastically rich one is the sort of stuff that I think most Rovers fans. I, mean, I, I tended to go in either the Ivy on Infirmary Street or the Fox or and Hounds there on the Triangle. That's what people used to talk about, you know, individual bits of the games. Whilst there's this vacuum of management and leadership, people are talking about the, the overarching stuff. Whereas really, they want to talk about the football, don't they? And I think it's good that we talked about the football, but. And uh, it's a shame that we're having to talk about the, the sort of bigger infrastructure issues because that should be down to the management and the leadership of the club. And I
0: think, well, as well, we've also got issues is that there are people who are obviously, I say political is probably the word in terms of the, the fan base at the moment, who, who want to concentrate on the issues with management and the owners. And there are still people who turn up who just want to watch the football and want to watch the games. They're not involved with any group. They don't share any message and you know there's an argument so then people would say that they're kind of ignorant to the situation and they're probably putting their head in the sand but you know it's still a football club and that's how still people, some people want to do it they've been doing that for years and that's the way they'll always be Um, it, it's very difficult because again the conversation in Blues Bar is all about political this political that or you know Venkies are here or they're not here they've gone home and it's like well yeah you should just Wax lyrical about your favourite player after a game and his performance. so somebody would say that's completely wrong. Come up with a completely different opinion. Uh, that's football. Everybody who watches the game will have a different opinion on players. You know, the conversation yesterday about Ruben Rashida, I've, I've never seen him. i have never a more divided fan base. But effectively, there's people who say yes, yeah, ship him out. There's people who said I'm not going to come again because he's not here. that's that's what football's all about. It's about opinions.
3: I I think you're absolutely spot on there, Steve. It's the the nip and tuck, isn't it, of football. We we used to come out of the ground, uh, walk down Nuttall Street, turn left into either Tweed or Calico Street, whichever one it is, walk up Bolton Road uh, and then through under the little mucky bridge there. Every time you went past somebody or somebody went past you, the spectrum of different um, opinions and decisions, the referee was this, the referee was that, the centre forward was this or that, That's what people like talking about, I think. And It it always used to surprise me that people could have such polarised views about one incident. It was a penalty. It it, it shouldn't have been a penalty or whatever. But that's what people like talking about. At the moment, we're all thrown into this kind of uh, vacuum where um, the leadership of the club isn't doing that job.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that uh, brings us on nicely to uh, uh, the next little topic Um, the club administration Uh, we had uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, rather an interesting interview on BBC Radio Lancashire with Derek Shaw he says you know, uh, he just comes into work and does the job to the best of his ability and uh, then he continues and says everyone knows that certain mistakes have been made in the past and I'm sure the owners know that but they've come into a new environment they've not owned a football club before but I think they're learning very fast. I'm hoping things will start to improve vastly. Uh, this was uh, from uh, 21st of January, I think. Now, just the other day, we had the transfer deadline day fiasco down at the club. And uh, also last week, uh, Shebby uh, was doing a, a Q&A at the 100 Club. And uh, you wonder whether they really are learning at all. Transfer deadline day. Uh, Steve, do, do you have uh, any uh, insights on, on what actually happened there, why we couldn't make those signings in time for the 11pm deadline?
0: Um, at the end of the day, the deals didn't get, didn't get done in the timescale. Uh, you know, people are saying well, DJ Campbell had been there since 5 o'clock and that Jerome Thomas had been there since whatever time, but for whatever reason, something didn't happen for that paperwork to go through. You know, was it you know, the initial contracts need to be signed or was it uh, down to human error, not loading the fax machine or whatever. Uh, I don't think that's particularly that clear. What somebody told me yesterday from the club is it's different in the Football League it is in the Premier League. In the Premier League, the, the, the Premier League will accept some sort of agreement between the two clubs saying, yes, we're going to sell the player and we're going to transfer the player. In the Football League, the entire deal has to be done on every single piece of paperwork. Uh, all the contracts, all the players' contracts have to also be signed and faxed across. So it's, it's more rigorous in the Football League. The, the Premier League will take a, an intention to transfer players. And I guess that's probably because these players are coming from you know, across Europe or something like that, so deals don't, get done, don't necessarily get done as quickly at that level. But something somewhere has stopped that paperwork going through. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to blame the usual suspects of Sean Agnew um, but you know, uh, we just don't know what the situation is and no one's going to exp- I don't think anyone's actually going to explain it to us that clearly uh, Michael Appleton seemed quite relaxed about it in the interviews so does suggest to me that it wasn't quite as much a surprise as, as people are making out and you know, DJ Campbell was in the box behind where I was sat yesterday yeah so the good thing is I think these players are still going through Um, it's just with what's gone on and the ownership and the incompetence that we've seen down the lines is any time we see something like this we're looking for the worst now and I think I don't know what the situation is Um, let's just hope that they get these players in on loan and they they turn out to be half decent Yeah, Uh, the
2: uh, the word is that on Thursday the uh uh, the loan market opens and we'll be able to sign sign the two players then
0: yeah yeah I think it's already nailed on I think the deals are already done it's just that the registrations can't go through till uh, the loan market opens up on Thursday yeah
2: yeah.
3: whatever the, the, the specialisms that Steve's just speaking about then uh, are concerned I, I my son's a lawyer and uh, I, get him, I rely on him to explain things to me of that technical nature uh, and I couldn't remember why we even had uh, transfer windows so he he explained that to me yesterday and I still don't really understand why it has to be like that. However, if that's the rules, that's the rules. And if Steve's now explaining that some of the some people in, inside the club didn't know what the rules were, well, I think that's pretty shoddy management and we shouldn't have people uh, doing shoddy things like that. Now, if it is the case, those things need to be looked at so they don't, they don't occur again. I don't think it was anybody at the club
0: not knowing what the rules were. I think the, cl- the, the people at the club knew exactly what the rules were. So it's like you could get away with a little bit more in the Premier League. It's a bit, a little bit more lax, if you know what I'm coming from. Uh, but for whatever reason, that they, they couldn't actually go through in the end. So whether the, the final paperwork wasn't done, or whether that was something at the, the players' end, whether it was over players' agents or whoever, we don't know this at the time.
3: Doesn't sound good to me.
0: No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It never. It doesn't look good. And this is the whole point. Is going back to what we said right at the start of the, the podcast. Effectively, the ownership and everything that's gone on means that we're always going to see the worst, even if there's actually nothing to nothing to say. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing to worry about about all this is is there nobody inside the club, either who hasn't got a vested interest in not standing up to uh, poor leadership or that they don't feel like they can stand up to poor leadership um, because this is anybody who's frankly, clearly and deliberately explained to the Venkis how things could be better because if you're in the middle of all that or you're being employed by that and are relying upon it you might be a little bit reticent of trying to explain what the difficulties are so my, I think my point is that there's a there's a kind of a emperor new clothes syndrome down there, where people who should be speaking up are kind of not not being as frank as they should be.
1: Well, I also think yeah, the problem is that if you were working for them, it's not a, I'm not sure you could guarantee. I wouldn't feel like I had a tremendous amount of job stability. So I, I think if you if if you were working at the club, I think you'd feel rather insecure and and maybe not want to sort of you know stick your head above the therapist and, and, and yeah. the no, I, wasn't of, blaming,
3: I was I wasn't blaming people, I was trying to explain. Oh no no, no I was I'm not yeah yeah no
1: absolutely not. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that you were but I, I can definitely understand yeah. why people might choose to maybe bite their tongue and and, and not not you know not put themselves out there if they think that they're not going to receive the full backing for the club maybe of you know there's not the opportunity in, in, in maybe some of the rooms uh, you know behind the scenes in would Park for, for someone to, to speak up and, and maybe not the line the whole time. I
3: wouldn't know. A, a modern, a modern management style should be, in my opinion, that you listen to your probably your worst internal critics because they've probably got more to say about your organisation than other people. I think in uh, old American uh, management speak, it's always listen to the skunks because the skunks might make a smell, but they'll also sort things out for you as well. No, absolutely, but. It, it certainly doesn't, it
1: seems, from the, based on the way the club's been run for the last couple of years, that, you know, they, they listen to one or two people and, and exclusively to one or two people. Maybe that will change soon. Hopefully it will change soon. Yeah. Uh,
2: and Shebby, of course, has come in uh, with the brief of uh, acting as uh, a conduit for uh, information between uh, Blackburn on the ground and uh, Pune. Uh, last week uh, he was at a Q and A at the Hundred Club. Uh, I, Steve, were you actually present at uh, at that?
0: I wasn't present, but I have seen the video that was put up uh, from the Q and A. It was effectively a sportsman's dinner that the Hundred Club do, where they had Barry Fry as the guest speaker, and Chevy was in attendance, as I believe. Uh, so were Paul Agnew and Derek Shaw but I've only heard that as a rumour uh, a number of sort of prominent people who have appeared on the podcast were also there uh, and a person took a video of the, the Chevy Sync Q&A uh, he'd also had a few beers as he was filming it so some of the comments that he was making in the background weren't probably <laughs> the, the best comments shall we say uh but it was the standard sort of Q&A and they asked Shebby effectively, is it true that the club's losing £2 million a month? And I think Shebby uh, answered that with a, a swear word. Uh, uh, they asked him if he was domiciled in the UK and I don't think he understood the word. So he started sort of assuming it was a question about his sex life. Uh, <laughs> that's not that's not a joke, it really was. Oh, seriously? Uh, meant, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then somebody made a comment about in the background about somebody else, and it was like, I don't, it was an embarrassment for everybody else, but in my opinion, really, when you have sportsman's dinner and people are having a few sort of beers and someone's agreed to ask a few questions, it's, I, I feel it's a bit unfair to put that in the internet and judge him on the back of that one, because he's probably had a couple of glasses of red wine himself, I would imagine, by this point. The difficulty is somebody like that, as Steve Keane found out to his uh, cost, is. You know, even when you're uh, not kind of on duty, you're always sort of on. You're always potentially going to have to pay for what you've done. Mm,
2: yeah. in,
3: in a sense, this, this bit of this conversation uh, should relate to a different conversation. Now, I I don't think I've been quite pleased, really, that I haven't really heard much racism towards the Rows being the owners of, of Blackburn Rovers Football Club, and I think that's to, to our credit. Uh, people who live locally however it is a fact of life that Rouse, Venkis whichever name you choose to call them by they own the football team they own the football club end of story we can't do anything about it unless of course some of the trust aspirations come come into bear but it's not obvious uh, Steve Keane Shebby Shaw Agnew it isn't clear who in terms of local government or in national government, who holds the mace, you know, Who who's really in charge at Ewood Park on a day-to-day basis. The owners, I'm not even sure I'm all that bothered whether the rats come to the games every match, stop for every 90 minutes or whatever, as long as it's clear who's running the club locally. And I don't think that's clear. And Shebby making off the cuff statements at Ewood Park the other night, I wasn't there, but I've heard other people's views on it. Chevy's been sat in this room where I'm speaking from now in my house uh, for two or three hours a few few weeks ago. It's not entirely clear, if somebody's speaking from Fortress Ewood Park, are they speaking with the full backing of the Rouse six and a half thousand miles away? And I think, it's,
0: I think this is something that changes as the wind changes, to be perfectly honest with you. I, at the moment, it seems to be clearly that Derek Shaw is running the non-football side of things. Um, and Michael Appleton is running the football side of things. So Shebby, I'm not quite sure where he fits in at the moment, seems to have gone back to being more of a, a the advisor sort of role uh, and effectively probably still working with fans and fans groups and speaking to them. But you know, the rows themselves are the people who... Who make the decisions or as we've found with the Steve Keane side of things just don't make the decisions I think they gave Shebby a remit to kind of run the club but I don't think Shebby had the decision making power that he thought he had You know, certainly when we went to the action group meeting in King George's Hall where Shebby was on stage Shebby was very much of the opinion he can make his decisions as and when he wants I think history has proven that He's been able to make advice, and he's been given clearance. But when he gets clearance to get rid of Steve Keane and then Mrs. Disag gives back word five minutes later, which seems to happen, I'm not convinced anybody in the UK is ever allowed to make the full decisions. And that, what, that's what
3: needs—that's one of the things that needs clearing up. As the any organisation of which I have been uh, the the leader, that includes the local council, it now includes uh, the college. We set the overall parameters, the overall strategy. Um, then we employ a principal or a chief executive or a director of finance, and they go along with the detail. And that was completely clear, completely sorted out. It was a team approach where everybody knew what they were doing, and that doesn't seem to be the way this is panning out. No, exactly. I mean, back to the, the John Williams days, the
0: owners themselves, the Walker Trust, what, we, we argument whether they're good owners or not, but what they did is they set John Williams a budget and John Williams could do what the hell he wanted to, get, to make that happen. From a football side of things, he obviously deferred the decisions to Mark Hughes or, or Sam Allardyce until, until there would come a point where John would see that their management was untenable, but never really happened with them. Uh, with the Venkis, it's, it's, you've got different sorts of people. You've got a family in India who can't agree on what they're doing. So Baladji will give Shebby power to do something. Then Mrs Desai will ring Michael Appleton up or Derek Shaw. If the family can't agree in India on who's running the club, then sure as hell they're not going to find anybody to run it on their behalf in the UK.
2: Well, on the subject of uh, owners and action, uh, this coming Saturday uh, we've got the home match against Ipswich Town. Uh, If you remember, this is the fourth in a a series of home matches in the league. And uh, there's been a campaign called the Back the Badge campaign that's been set up, uh, which involves people going to the match rather than not going to the match. It's uh, uh, rather uh, different from uh, the protests that were set up uh, a year ago. And uh, this has been done, as far as I understand uh by BRFC action group uh, under the banner of the united uh, funds initiative or not so Bill? could you clarify that
3: yeah it's it's nothing that's been discussed by the uh, by the uh, umbrella United group no
2: so it's essentially a, a BRFC action group campaign
3: yeah i'm pretty sure that's
0: the case i think it's 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 come from um I would defend the action group here is that they've, they've come up with the campaign obviously with Bill and the hip operations, I think it's been a case of the meetings haven't really happened this year and I think the action group have come up and used, used the contacts from the uh, United meetings to attempt to get groups to unite behind the, back, the badge campaign which is effectively to show Venkis that they can get 20,000 on the game if they were actually running the club properly uh and, and that's what it's about next week so they've asked all of the prominent rovers groups to give give statements on whether they're backing it and and how they're backing the statement so they clear up the fans forum and brfcs uh, vital uh rovers trust rovers talk uh, Know, every single group's been asked to, to contribute, and I think this has been going through the Lancashire New Telegraph as well. So I'm assuming Bill's got a statement primed, because I, I think there was a statement in the Telegraph or from the leader of the Council of Mosques, I think it was in yesterday, someone was telling me.
3: I, I didn't pick that up. I, I haven't chosen to make a statement, because I'm not entirely sure um, some of the reasons behind it or what it's hoping to um, uh, achieve. And, so, and that's not to say I'm against it, but I'm just not sure, entirely sure about it. But it it is an example, I think, of um, um, how people are still passionate about trying to improve uh, the Rovers' uh, community relationships. Uh, As to whether this does that, I'm not entirely clear. But uh, good luck to them, really. If it it does work, great.
0: I think from my point of view, it would have been preferable had it have come through the, the floor that we've had in terms of the meetings. I think we could have discussed some of the some of the detail in it and possibly made it palatable to other groups. My opinion on this one is the Fans Forum themselves have taken a, a neutral step on this and I excuse myself from the Fans Forum voting on this one because uh, I also had to make a decision on behalf of the BRFCS on how we supported the campaign. I think the Fans Forum came up with a very neutral sort of statement basically saying it's not really a position to say to fans whether to to back or not to, but we all look forward to big crowds. Uh, it, it's a tough one, is that fans at the moment, and there's a lot of fans who are disillusioned with group politics and all the what's going on, and I think there's just fans who just want to turn up to the game. I think by asking fans at the game, is, in my opinion, you're politicising the fan who doesn't necessarily care for the groups and people who are just going. It It starts to become claims for... As, as part of a success of a, a group, and it's and on our with what happened on Thursday as well, I think it seems to have put a bit of a damp squib on everything that was going on. Is all of a sudden people were saying back the badge and back the club and turn up to the Ipswich game, and then the debacle of Thursday's happened, and everybody's like, "I'm not bloody going no. you now." So I, I, I'm not so sure where the campaigns going from now. To be honest with you, I don't know if it's still going to be pushed or not.
3: When you talk about Thursday, Steve, you're referring to the, the, the window. The transfer uh, deadline yeah. to Barkley, yeah. OK, I'm with you. Yeah, well, um, the game will be here in six days' time, won't it? So we'll know how successful it's been or not. Uh, and I don't think it'll be one thing that will change people's minds uh, about um, how they're going to engage with us. Um, it'll be a whole series of things, and hopefully this is a successful one in, in that series.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a bit worried that regardless of intentions on the campaign or whatever is i think it's going to be very difficult to get the people who are missing the games to just come back for for one game on the back of any campaign i think it's one that they're, they're always going to struggle to get the, the numbers that needed to make it appear to be a success and I've, that's that's kind of my problem on that one uh, people will give excuses, it's always the same when they miss football matches, Is it's down to the owners, it's down to the club, it's down to the transfer, but going to football matches, it's a creature of habit, you get used to the habit of and the routine of, oh it's Rovers is on, I'm going, it's, you get up at whatever time, you go to the pub at 12 o'clock, have a couple of pints, then get taxed down to Ewood, go to your local, whether it be the Ivy or the Moorins or Moorgate even now. Uh, getting people out of that habit once they've got the habit of going shopping or watching on the telly or just staying in the local is very, very difficult. Rovers have found that to the cost in that they've effectively had to almost give the tickets away sometimes.
3: That's, that's one of my contentions as well is that if the uh, rowers want us to only have a market relationship with going to the rovers, they have a product, they're going to sell it, we can buy it. If it's only going to be like that, like I would choose to go to Morrison's or Asda or Tesco or whatever, then if it's like that and there's loads of sport on the TV, there's B&Qs, there's garden centres, there's taking the dog for a walk, if if they only want to compete for fans' uh, devotions in that kind of sense, then other things are going to start to take over and Steve's absolutely right. It is a matter of habit. I described our Ten to two till quarter past six. Experience, and we have a set of habits in this house um, about going to the Rovers. Should those be broken, uh, other things will happen. My son happens to come a hundred mile round trip to come and watch the Rovers. Uh, perhaps he'll change that, but that would be not just his loss, but it would be my family's loss and the Rovers' loss too. So, not understanding those those delicacy of re- re- relationships is a mistake.
2: Well, we'll see what uh, happens uh, next Saturday at the Ipswich home match uh, and uh, we'll be able to report on the response by the Blackburn public. Um, on the football side, Jordan Rhodes has uh, scored in six consecutive league matches, scored uh, two yesterday against Bristol City, so he's got seven in six consecutive league matches. And Eddie, this week uh, you're going to be doing a and a Q&A with... Uh,
1: a football agent. Uh, yes, yeah, he would, I kind of, the, well, there was a topic up for discussion, so I, I took some of the questions that were submitted by various members. I mean, some of them were maybe not suitable for, for an article, but, uh, and he was a little bit busy towards the end of the window with various transfers and trials for a couple of his players, but, uh, he should be getting back to me hopefully this week, um, and then obviously it's with a view to having him on the podcast and the few to discuss um, to discuss you know the roles of the, that a, an agent has in in football today. So again, if after the the Q and A is posted, if people do comment on, a, on on the topic that gets created, any comments or questions that they have can be then relayed to him in the in the podcast. So hopefully, people will read it and enjoy it once it once it goes up
2: that's great good work yeah um, other things on the board uh, Biddy has been working very hard on a uh, the current league grounds visited by everyone uh, it's called the 92 tracker if you look that up on the board and uh, see uh, where you've been which uh, of the current league grounds and some of the former league grounds that you've visited um, you can participate in that very interesting to see who's been where and uh, if you've been to some of the old league grounds uh, say for example uh, uh, Derby Derby county has got the old baseball ground on there just fill in where you've been and what have you check that out and uh, finally uh, Whittle Blue uh, posted a video of the Welling FA Cup match from 1989 uh, about uh, ten days ago I think it was Uh, so you can see uh, YouTube for uh, whittle blues com- contributions uh it's whittle blue without a space in uh, on youtube uh he's got uh, some some great videos from uh from 20 30 years ago so just check that out well that's all we have time for today uh just like to say uh thank you ever so much to sir bill taylor for taking time out to spend with us and discuss uh, for, for, uh, for all you fans out there thank you very much
3: no, thank you very much I've enjoyed it
2: do you have any other uh, points that you want to make
3: well, what I was hoping for and thank you for the opportunity to speak on this podcast uh, is perhaps some feedback from some of the fans who might be listening to this uh, what would they see is there one thing that would help uh, change uh, relationships improve relationships between them and the local club or their owners, um, please pass them in because I, mean, I, I think for me it's the apology, uh, the explanation that things will get better and then some actual changing behaviours. Uh, so I'd be interested very, very much if people had uh, agreed with that or had different views, let's hear them all. The more views we have on this, the sooner and better we'll get towards a resolution.
2: Yeah, we can ask people to uh... To post them to the message board if that's okay
3: that's fine by me, I've, I've, I've had me say now guys my wife's after me now
2: <laughs> okay, great <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah uh, Eddie, uh, it's been good to have you on again, thanks very much for coming on
3: yeah, it's always,
1: always enjoyable, thanks
2: yeah. and uh, Stevie, uh, it's good to have you on again, uh, you should come on more often
0: yeah, I've got to try and get up on a Sunday morning but thanks for having me <laughs>
2: Yeah, great, great Well, thank you very much for listening to us wherever you are in the world. We hope you do take care. Thank you ever so much, and we look forward to having you with us again soon. Thank you.